Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm happy to be uh, continuing our uh, church shopping um, sermon series uh, this morning. Uh, before I begin, I just want to say this uh, up front, and you'll probably hear us say this a lot over these next couple of weeks, but uh, this sermon series is not meant to be a commercial uh, for River Ridge Church. Um, this, the things that we're talking about in this sermon series about what the church should be about uh, would and should apply to any church anywhere, whether it's here or any other church that meets uh, anywhere else. Um, and what we're doing in this sermon series is we're wanting to make a list of things that we think are really important that what church uh, should be about. And it kind of works like this. Like if you uh, go to the grocery store, right, it's helpful before you go to sit down and to make a list of everything you want to get. Because what happens if you don't, you go to the grocery store, you get all your stuff, you go home and start to make whatever meal you're making, and inevitably you forgot like one of the key ingredients, Right happens all the time. But if you have a list ahead of time, you can make sure, okay, I got everything uh, that I need. And so, um, and here's the kind of cool thing about this is that, and kind of follow my thinking here, but um, if you think about what the church is, you know, the church isn't a building, the church isn't an institution, the church isn't the pastors, the church isn't staff, the church is the people that come together uh, as the body of believers. And so if we talk about making a list of what church should be about, really what we're doing is it's not so much making a shopping list of the things that we want to get when we go to church, but it's almost like we're coming up with a recipe of the things that we want to contribute uh, and looking at ourselves and saying, what should we be putting in uh, to this body that we make up? And so that's what we're going to be doing in this sermon series is basically asking this really simple question, is what should the church be about and what role do each of us play in the church? Uh, last week, Matt kicked us off uh, by talking about a mission that challenges us. And we looked at John 17 and how Jesus said, I was sent into the world and now I'm sending you out into the world to do my work. Uh, and this week, we're going to be looking at worship and um, the topic of, of, of having a worship that reminds us of something. We're going to talk about what that something is here in a little bit. Um, but when we talk about worship, you know, I want to make two points just right off the bat. Um, I think it's important to say, uh, one, because one of the areas of, of responsibility that I have for this church is I'm, I'm the one that's in charge of all the music um, that happens here. And so I think it's important for me when I talk about worship to kind of share some of the things that are on my heart uh, for what worship looks like uh, so that you understand kind of where we're coming from uh, when it comes to the music on Sunday morning. And the first point is this, and this is a really important one, is that worship is not just music, okay? Music and singing is an element of worship, but worship is more than just singing. Uh, Romans 12.1 says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That is our true and proper worship. And so really, worship is more about lining our hearts with God um, and not about just the music or the singing um, aspect. And the second thing that I want to mention, it's important to me personally, is that, you know, here at River Ridge, you know, when it comes to our musical on Sunday morning, you know, we have the guitars and the drums and the lights and all that stuff. Um, and that's great, and I love it. But you don't need any of that to worship God, right? And in fact, uh, it's totally possible to worship God without any of that. It's totally possible to worship God with a choir, with an organ, with whatever else is out there. I personally believe that diversity in worship style is a great thing. And that's a great thing that the church has that diversity in terms of how we worship. Because it's not about the music, it's about the heart that comes into it. Um, an electric guitar doesn't sound any better or worse to God than an organ. What God cares about is the heart that goes behind what's being played and not about the instrument uh, in and of itself. And so uh, here, me personally, um, I love that... Uh, churches do different things differently in here, and I don't think we do things better or worse than anybody else. It's just, this is who we are, and there's other churches who are they who they are, and that's awesome, and that's how we should be. 
Um, so as we move through this message, those are the kind of the two points that I kind of want us to, to keep in the back of our minds. Um, so before we get any further, I want to pray for us, and then we'll uh, jump into the message. Um, Father God, I just thank you for the gift that is worship. Um, and just pray this morning as we look at this important topic, uh, that it's, you, you let us wrestle with what worship should be about and what our role is um, in terms of the church and what that looks like for us um, to worship here on Sunday mornings, God. Uh, we love you so much, and we're thankful for your son. All these things in his name. Amen. All right, so Monday through Saturday, we fill our weeks, our time, with so many things. Uh, we fill it with work, with uh, sports practices and games, with dance, with piano lessons, with uh, chores around the house, with housework, yard work, trips to the grocery store, uh, cooking, doing dishes, cleaning, laundry, home group, uh, visiting with family, visiting with friends, taking trips, exercising, doctor's appointments, shopping. Am I missing anything? I mean, that's fill our weeks with so much stuff, right? And then, so where that leaves us is Sunday morning comes around, and man, we're exhausted, right? We need a Sabbath. Sunday's here. We just, man, we're tired. We just want to take a break. And so Sunday morning, our alarm clock goes off. And you look outside, and it's kind of raining a little bit, and it's kind of cold. We'll just maybe take our time around the house. We'll see if we uh, make it to church this morning. And so 9.20 rolls around, and you're like, if, we, if we're going to make the church, we got to leave right now. Kids, get ready. we got to go. And it's 9.30, and you haven't left yet. And so you're like, yeah, that's, we just won't go uh, to church this morning. Because, hey, they tell us all the time at church that coming to church isn't what makes you a Christian. So, you know what, we just... We just won't go to church uh, this morning. We'll, we'll read our, I'll read my Bible instead this morning. I can connect with God uh, through my Bible. That'll be my church uh, for this morning. I'll read my Bible. Or, or maybe, maybe I'll go for a run or exercise or, or something. I connect with God that way. Maybe that'll be uh, my church uh, this morning. And, and I'll even listen to worship music while I do it. So I'll get like two like double points there. Or you know what, maybe I... I can just download the sermon later. We can watch it whenever we're ready. Um, I, we can just download the sermon, or I'll just pull up that podcast that I really like that they talk about Christian things, and, and that'll be my church uh, for this week. Now, are those any, the, those any thoughts, any statements that you all can relate to? And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, in our busy schedules and having all this access to all this other stuff whenever we want it on the Internet and our phones and stuff, I mean, does Sunday morning, does Sunday morning even matter anymore? Does corporate worship coming together, does it even matter? And the answer to that question is yes, absolutely. It really, really, really matters. And that's the question that we're going to be wrestling with this morning is, does Sunday even matter still? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we come together as a body and worship together? And so let's listen to what uh, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse uh, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so the very first thing that jumps out to me when I read this passage is when it says, as some are in the habit of doing. And this is what this says to me. It says to me that our 21st century American busy schedules is not the reason that we don't go to church, Right? They had the same issue 2,000 years ago when the church first started. And that's because the heart of the issue, I think one of the big things that plays into this, the heart of the issue of why we neglect to come together as a church is for this reason, is that we make church about us. 
What I mean by that is when we make church about us, we ask, what can my church offer me? Or what can my church do for me? What can my, how can my church feed me? How can my church make me feel better? What, how can the church sing the songs that I want to sing? When we make church about us, and then we don't want to go, well, it's okay, because it's my, you know, church is for me. It's for my benefit. I don't want to go in the morning. I shouldn't have to go. But if you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, there's a, there's, there's a reason in here that we meet together. and doesn't have anything to do with you. It says, how... May we spur one another towards love and good deeds by encouraging one another. And so all these alternatives to church that I talked about earlier, there's there's something missing in every single one of those. What's missing? You are. It's hard to encourage one another and to spur one another on if you aren't with one another. And so that's the reason that we meet together. Point number one on the outline is this, don't neglect gathering together. That's why Paul gave us that command. And then he'll say, okay, well, we're not supposed to neglect it. Well, then what what does it look like when we we come together? What are we not neglecting? And for that, let's turn to Acts uh, chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 41. So those accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I could give a whole sermon Uh, on this passage. In fact, we could probably do a whole sermon series on this passage. There are so many great uh, things that come out of this passage. But the reason I wanted to talk about it this morning is is to make this one point. Did you you catch the fact that it says that there were at least 3,000 people that were part of this church? This is a big church. And so where do those people meet? It says they met in two places. They met in the temple courts, and they met in the homes, breaking bread together. And so there is a large public gathering, and then there are small, smaller gatherings where people can have authentic fellowship. And so that's essentially the model that many churches use. It's the model that this church uses. The church comes together on Sunday morning. We meet in a big building. Uh, we, do a, we have a service. Um, and then at some point later in the week or maybe that morning, you break off into a Sunday school class or a home group or something else. So you have the big group uh, and the small group. And you know, here at River Ridge Church, um, we love groups. We talk about groups all the time. One of our core values is that you can't do life alone. We sincerely believe that you need to be an authentic Christian fellowship to have growth uh, in your faith. We talk about groups a lot, but here's the thing that's always important to remember when we talk about groups. It's not an or. It's not a groups or Sunday morning. It's groups and Sunday morning. You need to be here as one body coming together And then we also need to, in the rest of the week, go and have the fellowship with each other throughout the week. And so that's point number two in your outline, is that we gather together as one body. And then so what do we do when we all gather together? Well, one thing we do is is we sing. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about singing. There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible. And there are over 50 direct commands to sing. And if you think about it, you know, what's the longest book in the Bible? Psalms. It's a book of songs, right? This is another thing that I think is really cool. If you look at uh, Zephaniah 3, 17, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, 
the mighty one who will save, who will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will rejoice over you with loud singing. Did you know that God sings? Is that awesome to think about, God singing? That would be amazing to hear God sing. Here's another one for you. In Matthew 26, uh, verse 30, it says that Jesus sang a hymn with the disciples before he went to the garden on the night that he was betrayed. God sings. Jesus sings. We have commands to sing. What does that say about us singing? And, you know, I had somebody ask me one time, they said, well, you know, is God some kind of like egomaniac that he needs us to like sing to him? That's not what it's about at all. Because here's what happens when we sing. God doesn't need us to sing to him, but God wants us to sing to him because of what it does for us. Singing is for our benefit because it's one way that we can align our heart and our minds with God and his purpose and his will for our life. And if you look at the New Testament, when it talks about singing, uh, you see something else that is commanded, something else that's included. We're going to look at Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and Colossians 3, um, chapter 3, verse 16. And I'll start with Ephesians first. This is Ephesians um, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. It says, uh, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And so both of those passages, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, you have two things that you see. One is that, yes, we're supposed to sing to the Lord. It says that in both of those passages. But here's the other thing it also says in both of those passages. We're not just singing to God. We're also singing to one another. As you teach and admonish one another, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. There's that one another thing again. Now, so that's point number three in our outline, is that um, when we are together, we sing to God and we sing to one another. And so here's the thing, though. Like, not everybody likes to sing. I get that, right? I, I can relate to that because growing up uh, in church, I, I didn't sing. Uh, and the reason for that was not that I really didn't like to, is that I'm a really bad singer, right? I mean, I'm up here all the time. They, I never get a microphone. There's a great reason for that. Like, I'm just not a good singer. And so when I was younger, I was really self-conscious of that. And we were in church. I didn't sing, not because I didn't want to, because I just I was afraid of people hearing me thinking, oh, my gosh, he can't sing. And so I don't remember uh, exactly how old I was, but it was probably somewhere around uh, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. Um, there was one Sunday morning in particular where uh, there was this girl that I had a crush on, right? And she said, hey, why don't you come sit with my family during church? So I'm like, yes, that sounds great. I would love to sit next to you in church. And the thing about this girl was is that she sang a lot. And she was like the girl that had all like the special music and all the big church production stuff. Like she could really sing. She loved singing. Her whole family was very musical. And I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting next to this girl that I like, and she sings, and I, I can't, I got to sing too. And so you know, the pastor says, all right, get out your hymnals and turn to page 367. I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm going to start singing in church, right? And that's what I did. That's why I started singing in church. Terrible reason, terrible reason, terrible reason. But the one thing that I found out in that experience is I kind of like this. This is actually kind of nice, right? And so I learned two things in that. Uh, the first is uh, that's not a a way to, I didn't get the girl, right? And that's okay. Uh, but the second thing I learned is that uh, I actually liked to sing. It was kind of fun. I've never looked back after that. And so um, I grew up in the Methodist church, and this is a, a, a hymnal that we have. And uh, on the very, the very front of this hymnal, 
uh, there's John Wesley wrote, John Wesley's the you know, founder of the Methodist Church. Uh, he wrote in 1761, uh, he has in here directions for singing, and this is in the very front of all the, of all the hymnals. Uh, and I love some of these. I'm going to read you one that uh, I really like. So this is number three. This is 1761, John Wesley's uh, directions for singing in church. Sing all. Sing that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up, and you will find it to be a blessing. I think it's awesome because what he's saying is, you know, not everybody likes to sing, but maybe that's something that you challenge yourself to say, you know what, I, I don't really like it, but I know the Bible talks about it, so I'm going I'm to try uh, to get better at this, or I'm going to try to enjoy it, I'm going to actually try to, to take, make this something uh, that I can get behind and try to work, um, work through. Because you may try it and you may realize, like, I actually kind of like this. Um, here's another good one. This is number four. <laughs> I actually think this one's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> this is direction for singing number four. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you are half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of it being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. John Wesley, 1761. But I think that Mr. Wesley uh, has a point here, and, and it's this. Is, you know, I, I know for a fact there's some people here that will not sing in church on Sunday morning, right? But those same people, uh, if you were up in Morgantown at a sporting event, uh, Mountaineers win, the clock goes down to zero, the Mountaineer fires off the musket, and Country Roads plays over the loud system, man, you're belting that out like you're John Denver yourself, right? <laughs> Just saying. <clears throat> I digress. Um, there's something else that I want to talk about, and that's expressiveness uh, in worship. And I think there's uh, some of the same points that talk with singing comes with expressiveness. Um, there's some people in here who, you know, the music starts, and it, you know, as soon as the music starts, boom, touchdown, right? Hands in the air, I don't care, right? Hands up. Actually, it's, it's not two hands, because it's one hand up, and uh, one hand, you got your coffee here, so you got one hand up, right? That's how we do it. <laughs> uh, and that's great. And there's also some people, though, that the music starts, and man, those hands go in your pocket, and you push them as far down as you can. It's like, mm, I'm not engaging. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the point that I want to make when it talks about expressiveness uh, in worship is I think there's also some people in here uh, that the music starts and you want to be expressive. Uh, you want to lift a hand or clap or dance or whatever, however you want to respond, uh, and you don't do it because in your mind you're thinking, well, you know, somebody's going to see me and I don't, I, don't want somebody to, I don't want somebody to notice me or I don't want somebody to think of me or whatever it is. And I'm going to let you in on a secret, okay, here on Sunday morning uh, when the lights are down and the music's going. It's at this. Nobody's focused on you, okay? Nobody's watching you. If you want to stick your hands up, stick your hands up. That's awesome. If you want to clap, clap. That's awesome. Nobody cares around you what you do. You should, be, you should feel free to respond as you want to respond. And here's the other thing that I think is kind of cool about that, because I think that not only that, like, no, A, nobody's, like, focused on you, but B, what might happen is, you know, you may put your hand up, and somebody behind you is like, oh, thank goodness, I've been wanting to do it. Now I can. You know, they don't want to be the first one, you know? And so you could be a leader in that. And if that's not for you, that's fine. But all I'm saying is just feel free to respond the way that you want to respond. We want this to be a place where you feel free to respond to worship like you want to. Uh, you know, we want this to be a celebration. We want it to be a place where you can respond and not, you don't have to be afraid about what other people think of you or anything like that. Um, because when we gather together and worship, your singing, your engagement, it can and will encourage people uh, around you. And so there's a great story in the Bible where we see how this works 
uh, and it's found in Acts chapter 16. It starts in verse 16, and it's kind of a longer story, so I'm going to uh, summarize a little bit uh, of it for you. If you want to go back and read it later, I encourage you to. Um, and so Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey uh, to Philippi, and over the course of several days, uh, there is a, a young slave girl that's following them around, and the Bible says that she's a, a fortune teller. And everywhere Paul and Silas go, she's yelling, uh, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So you can imagine that Paul and Silas are trying to do this important work, and you've got this girl behind it just everywhere they go that she's just saying that. And so Paul finally gets to the point where he gets so frustrated with her, he turns around and he casts out the demon that gives her the power to, to be a fortune teller. And so her owners, the owners of this slave girl, were furious because Paul had taken uh, their ability um, or, or, or their source of income by this girl's ability to, to be a fortune teller. And so they go and report him uh, to the local authorities. And so Paul and Silas get arrested, uh, and they get drugged before the, the local officials, and there's a crowd that gathers, and the crowd turns against them. And so they're convicted, uh, they're charged and convicted, and so the officials, uh, it says they, um, they rip their clothes from them, and the Bible says they were severely beaten. That's actually what it says, severely beaten. And once they were beaten, they were thrown in the jail. And then once in jail, their legs were put in stockades. And so I want you to just kind of hit pause for a second on the story and think about like if you were Paul. So you have somebody that's making a kind of a false charge against you, trumped up charges. A crowd gathers to attack you. You're sentenced, you're severely beaten with your clothes ripped off. You get thrown in jail, your feet are bound. I mean, just imagine what it would have been like for him. Imagine, imagine the smells that you would have smelt in this prison. I bet it smelled awful. And just imagine for a second the pain that you felt all over your body because you just got beat, but, but your legs are in stockades, and so there's nothing that you can do to get comfortable because you're, you're just stuck. You're just having to deal with this pain. And I'm going to read between the lines here and say that you know, I'm, I bet you this prison, it was probably either A, really hot, like sweltering hot, uncomfortable, or it was probably really cold. It's probably one of those extremes. And so you're miserable because you're not comfortable. But imagine the sounds that you were to hear, the other prisoners, all these, all these sounds that would have taken place uh, in this prison. And, you know, imagine the dark, darkness and loneliness of being uh, in this jail cell. I mean, what would be going through your mind? What would, be, what would your emotions be? Where would your heart be if this was you? And so this is where we pick up the story in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Are you kidding me? Singing hymns to God? I'll tell you what I'd be doing if I was Paul. I'd be cussing. I'd be cussing the officials that put me there. I'd be cussing the guy that beat me. I'd be cussing the jailer. If I was Silas, I'd be cussing Paul and be like, dude, look where you got us. I mean, come on. You know, I'd be mad. That's where my heart would be. I'd be furious. And Paul and Silas were singing and praying to God. But here's the really cool part of the story. If you keep reading, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And so I guarantee you that there were probably two types of prisoners that were overhearing this. One, there was a group of prisoners that probably hated this. They were mad. It's midnight. Man, we're trying to sleep. Would you shut up so I can, I can sleep, all right? Probably group of prisoners that didn't want to have anything to do with this. But I guarantee you, though, there were also some prisoners in that, in that jail who were at their wits' end. They had lost all hope. Um, they were miserable. They didn't have any hope. They didn't have any, uh, they were lonely. They were scared. And for them to be able to hear Paul and Silas singing to God, that would have been such an encouragement for them. 
would have been uplifting. It probably would have sounded so good because it gave them something to focus on other than the hell that they were in in that jail cell. So the story continues in verse 27. It says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so the foundations of the prison were shaking, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And so the rest of the story is this. So Paul and Silas were free, and all the other prisoners were free. Um, But if they would have escaped, then the jailer uh, that was in charge of watching them would have been executed, because if the jailer lets the prisoners go, then the jailer probably would have been executed. And so the, the story says the jailer was about ready to kill himself, and Paul and Silas said, no, 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 we're, we're right here. We, didn't, we haven't gone anywhere. We're right here. And so in response to this, the jailer basically falls before, their, falls before them on the ground and says, tell me what I need to do to be saved. And so the jailer takes Paul and Silas back to his house. Uh, it says that the jailer treated, his, treated their wounds and fed them. And then Paul and Silas got to share the gospel with the jailer and his whole family. And they were all saved and baptized. It has a great ending uh, to that story. And I love the story for a couple of reasons. One, on a personal note, uh, one of my son's names is Silas. And I love the fact that, you know, that's his, his namesake, that he's going to be able to look to the story as he gets older as an awesome inspiration uh, um, for, who's, for what Silas did. But the second reason I love this story is I think it's a beautiful analogy uh, for everything that we've talked about uh, this morning. Because in this story, Paul and Silas' singing led to a literal freedom for those around them. Their chains were broken. Their, their bonds were broken. And But for us here on Sunday morning, I don't, know, I don't know where you are when you come here. For some people in here, you're on cloud nine. The week's going great. Everything's going well. You're, you're so full of joy. You can't wait to get here to sing and to praise God and to celebrate. And you want to dance and clap your hands. Uh, but for some people that come here on Sunday morning, that's not where you are. You're struggling. Things aren't going well. You may have even lost your song. But here's what we know from these scriptures, is that when we come together as one body, uh, no matter where we are, when we sing biblical truths back to God, uh, it can encourage each other. It can uplift each other. And just like Paul and Silas' singing led to a literal freeing of the bonds for the people that heard them singing, uh, we have that same opportunity uh, to have to have a freeing impact on the people that hear us sing and the people that see us engage. Uh, the power of us coming together doing that, it can literally free the bonds of people that are around us. And so it has awesome power, and that's why we come together as one body to sing to God and unite through song. And so we started out um, with this, saying the sermon series about these two questions. What should the church be about, and then what is our role in that? And so the, the point of this message uh, is is this, is that what, is the, what should the church be about when it comes to worship? Is that we want to be a church where worship reminds us that it is about we and not about me. We want worship to be about we and not about me. And then what is our role in this? It's pretty simple. One, we have to show up. We have to be here. We have to come here together to be with one another. And then once we're here, we need to participate, whatever that looks like for you. But we need to engage. We need to participate uh, in the corporate worship that we come together here on Sunday mornings. And when we do that, man, the power of us coming together and encouraging one another through that, it's awesome. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Father, I just, I thank you um, for the gift of worship, Lord. I thank you for that we can come together as one body, um, all of us in different places, uh, just, just come here together. Uh, to be unified on Sunday morning uh, together by singing praises 
uh, back to you by singing, um, singing and, and engaging in the music uh, to uplift each other and to encourage one another and to spur each other on uh, to growth in your name, God. And I pray that um, you just let this message just rest, uh, speak to all of us, just let it wrestle with our hearts as we kind of consider what this looks like for us uh, and, and what message you have for each one of us uh, when it comes to, to our worship um, and our engagement on Sunday morning, Lord. We're so thankful for your son and the gift that he gave us on the cross. All these things in his name. Amen.